today's program made possible by patrons like you. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it all covered. We talk to those in the entertainment industry and find out about their favorite scores. You found the podcast, What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So sit back, relax, grab a popcorn, and let's see what we'll be hearing today. Our guest today is based in Dublin, where she's an award-winning composer for film and video games. She's viewed as one of the world's premier composers for games, as a matter of fact, scores uh, such as the one for World of Warcraft, among others. For films, she's worked with directors such as Gus Van Sant and Joe Dante. Her talents also include being an in-demand conductor, as evidenced by the fact that she was uh, the first female conductor to perform at the last Academy Awards ceremony. Let's learn more about this amazing woman. Please join me in welcoming Emer Noon to the program. Hi, Emer. Hi, Frank. It's good to be here. Did I, did, oh, I'm so I'm just delighted to have you. Did I pronounce that okay? <laughs> perfectly, perfectly. Emer like lemur, only lemurs don't bite as readily as I might. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, as our listeners can can uh, decipher, our guest is from the wonderful country of Ireland. And so we're delighted to welcome her from uh, from Dublin today. Thank you so much for joining us. I we usually kind of start our programs just wanting to learn a little bit more about our guests. So I was hoping you could maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, outside of composing and those sorts of things, about family and growing up and you know the things of that nature. Yeah, well, I actually am lucky enough to divide my time between here and Malibu, California, where. I've lived for, I suppose, 15 years in Los Angeles area in general, and um, I love LA. I consider it my city, and Los Angelinos, my people, as well as the Paddies over here. Um, But uh, I have, my stepdaughter is in college, Maddie, and I have two little boys, Eliam, who's seven, and Mayel, who's not yet two years old. Um, my yeah, my husband Craig is uh, an Emmy-nominated composer himself, and he's my favorite person to work with and argue about music with. Inevitably, when we <laughs> work together, or any other time of the day that you <laughs> might like. <laughs> well, and I kind of gathered that just kind of reading a little bit about you and. Uh, Following you on Facebook, we're Facebook friends and those sorts of things. That, that, that you have been based in California, but I'm guessing 
and for those listeners that I, whenever they're listening to this, this is in the middle of the, the COVID issue. You found yourself in Dublin and all of a sudden you were kind of stuck there because of COVID. Is, is that accurate? Well, we didn't have to be stuck, but we just felt um, the way things were being handled here. We, we were really lucky when um, when COVID struck Ireland, our prime minister is actually uh, a qualified doctor. Uh, and oh, wow. he used to practice a practicing GP, I think he was, and the head of infectious diseases at the, at the WHO was from Galway, which is my county in the West. So we mm-hmm. just felt um, uh, we were in, in the countryside as well during the first lockdown and the area we were in had thankfully zero cases during the first lockdown. And we just, I mean, right now reading about the numbers in the United States, just my heart is in my mouth, especially for for my beloved Los Angeles. Um, so we're, we're, we're coming back um, as soon as things, you know, sort of right themselves. And, and, and we're just, we're just thinking of everybody and sending our love to everybody back in other home. You know? Yeah, that, that makes sense. It's a, uh, uh, without really getting into it without detail, it's uh yeah, it's, it's really rough, particularly in that part of the United States right now. So I, I certainly understand that. Um, but I, I take it then you 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 grew up in Ireland, correct? Certainly, yes, I did. Um, in a village of about five hundred people. <laughs> wow! So, yeah, wow. And, and yeah. mother and father were they were they connected to music in any way? Not at all. No, not at all. Um, they were. Um, I just had the most normal upbringing, normal Irish upbringing imaginable. You know, and. Uh, just fell in love with the orchestra at, at seven years of age. And that was it for me. It's just been the orchestra ever since. And um, yeah. You know, and, and, which is interesting. And, and, and I, I, I asked this question from my own perspective because now I'm, you know, I'm 62, so I'm guessing I'm significantly older than you are. But when I was seven years old or, or thereabouts, I actually, I liked film music. I liked orchestra music. I actually, when I heard classical music, I liked it. Now that made me quite frankly, at that time, a weirdo, you know, yeah. I mean, I was like, oh, you aren't listening to the Beatles. You aren't listening to this. <laughs> no, I, I like this music. So I'm kind of curious coming from your perspective. I mean, that's interesting. At seven, you, you felt a connection to orchestral music. Yeah. Um, I, Talk to me about that. I mean, was that, did that put you in a weird position with your peers or did people understand that? Or just kind of talk to me about that. I think my parents kind of described me as like an alien from outer space that landed in the middle of the family, you know? Um, I, like, I, I have a like visceral memory of walking past the TV and seeing a guy in tails, big white hair, standing on a podium in Vienna and just going, oh yeah, that looks good. I'll do that. And uh, that was it. It was like the decision was made. And and then my dad sort of noticed any time there was an orchestra on TV, my dad would call me downstairs or call me in from outside or whatever. But uh, he was kind of fascinated by my fascination, you know, because um, but oh. I mean, I mean, we had, you know, Thin Lizzy and we had uh, we had this mad cross between rock music and folk music in our house on the record player, you know, um, mm-hmm. and uh and in our village, actually, this tiny little village um, was the world's most renowned composer of traditional Irish music. 
so in my head, you know, you, you grew up, you could become a teacher, a farmer, uh, a nurse, a shopkeeper, or a composer. <laughs> that was like, <laughs> those, were, those are the careers I saw around me, you know. <laughs> so, um, and Paddy, Paddy Fahey would rather talk about farming any day than about composing. And he didn't consider himself really a composer, but he was, you know, he's, widely played we lost him at 102 years of age two years ago um but it's 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 funny I suppose just knowing in the back of your mind as a kid that there's somebody like that in your village that sort of makes you that makes it ordinary and normal you know that you can Mm. be a composer (laughs) but um yeah yeah. so yeah for me the orchestra was very visceral it was instantaneous I mean I can remember it to this day and the first time I heard an orchestra live, I was playing in one. So that's how, I mean, wow. there were no orchestras near me. There was, you know, the nearest was Dublin, which was uh, over 100 miles away. Um, wow. Yeah, so so it's kind of a, a mad um, thing to decide you wanted to do when, you know, <laughs> seven years of age. <laughs> and I, and I, I want to explore that more as, as time goes along. But first I wanted to uh, to kind of go over some, and you, I know you've selected some cues of uh, composers of works that you've admired and that uh, potentially have influenced your work. The first one I want to talk about or ask you about, I guess, is uh, from the maestro Ennio Morricone. You uh, you wanted to play uh, Once Upon a Time as yeah. uh, one of your cues of a favorite. Uh, kind of talk to me about why you chose that particular cue. Sure. Um, I, I, re, I became reacquainted with this score uh, very recently because, oh gosh, just at the, towards the end of this particular lockdown, this is the second lockdown in Ireland, um, I filmed a very special concert with the National Symphony Orchestra of Ireland and literally we put it together in three weeks because it was the first time we could get the brass and percussion together since last February. Um, and you should have seen them. It's like they built individual ISO booths for every single player. Um, it was, we were all socially distanced. It was incredible. So uh, I was thinking about Maestro Maracani and I really, really wanted to pay tribute to it, the, the tri- tribute to him. The concert was called Pure Imagination and it was about kind of escapism, going into the land of story and into our imagination to escape you know what's going on around us and to have our hearts healed and have our have our hearts lifted and and to be inspired and to know that you know human beings were capable of greatness it's not just the 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 drudgery that we're dealing with now we have this higher purpose and so i wanted to to pay tribute to him and to all of those that we've lost because of this awful 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 pandemic um, so I chose uh, Deborah's theme from Once Upon a Time in America. And for the soprano part, I invited a beautiful young Irish Shano singer. Now, Shano singing is traditional Irish, a traditional Irish style. Shano literally means old ways, and it's quite ornamented. And just, my gosh, his writing with his voice together, one of the our main radio hosts here in Ireland she came to me she's like oh my gosh just hearing those two those those two things together 
was just give, gives me goosebumps. But one of the things, I mean, I was looking at the score and going, oh my God, this is one of those simple genius things that comes from pure musical instinct. He, he starts the piece with this, he has this, he just has the dominant sustained in the celli and the basses. And they're just just playing this drone, and it's the dominant. It's one of those. Our, our, the tonic is home in music. That's where music always wants to go to. Back to do, back to the tonic. But the kind of main pillar that holds up the middle, holds up the roof of the piece, is the dominant. And it's this kind of a suspended feeling when you're in the dominant because you want to go home to the tonic, but you're kind of lifted up in the suspended, <laughs> waiting, waiting for for the, the cadence point where you go to home. So he starts the piece in this, this area of suspension and he plays the main theme over it. And then when finally we move down by one tone, it's like your heart <laughs> drops into your stomach. You don't need to know the technicalities of it. I went after the fact because my fascination is why did that make me feel like that what did he just do and I go oh my gosh he's he has set up this suspended feeling and then he drops it by one tone and our hearts just fall into our feet and that is genius to me it's so simple and so stunningly beautiful and that's what I live for that kind of amazing moment that we can't technically describe why we're feeling what we're feeling we start in the dominant and we and we drop by one tone to 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 four which which is as dry as a bone talking like this but we still can't explain why we get goosebumps and why our hearts feel the way they do oh my gosh i mean if, if, if I, just your description of it makes me want to hear it even more than i did to begin with i mean it's just that's <laughs> that's, that's 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 beautiful just to make sure i'm clear is this the original recording or something that you've done uh, of no, this particular? No, tune? this is this is, I believe, is his original recording. It's it's okay. Marconi conducting. Okay, well let's uh, let's have a listen. This is from the film Once Upon a Time in America, and it's written by Ennio Morricone. Thank you. 
You mentioned um, the first time you heard an orchestra was when you were playing in it, which yeah, I which I find fascinating. Now, my first question is, what were you playing? <laughs> oh, I remember. It was Finlandia by Sibelius. I remember exactly the first time I heard the orchestra around me, and that was it. It was all over for me from then on. It was just like, oh, my God, I'm inside the orchestra now. It was like three-dimensional musical experience. Oh, I bet. But, but I guess, and perhaps I missed it. What instrument were you playing? Oh, <laughs> uh, concert <laughs> concert flute. Not many people know that, actually. I have a degree in performance in concert flute. <laughs> oh, in flute? Yeah, yeah. I, now, I have... I have very, very bad, I have very bad hands for a musician. They're horrendously badly double jointed. I could never play a string string instrument. So I didn't have a huge number of options, but I, I felt that in order to conduct other musicians or write for other musicians, I, I had to be able to play to a professional standard before I could have the nerve to do such a thing, you know? <laughs> well, which I find now I find that interesting. And again, I'm not I'm far from being an expert or anything like that, but it strikes me that most, I could be wrong on this, but it strikes me that most composers usually, you know, play piano that, that and that's kind of like, that's their, that's their deal. And, and yeah. you're saying flute. So. No, I play piano. Too. And again, I asked this as, I asked yeah. this as someone who doesn't really understand music. Did was that a benefit for you to be able to play f- flute in terms of composing or, or, and, or, and, or do you also play piano as well? I'm just curious. Yeah, I also play piano. Um, and uh, I remember I did this teacher's diploma in piano at 16, which is really young. And it's the standard of my piano playing has been descending ever since then. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so now my piano playing is very much a tool for composition um, I, as well as that, one of my best friends, Mike Lang, who's probably one of the most recorded pianists in the world. Yes, uh, I'm trying to get him on the program, by oh, the way. So please you, contact okay. him. I'm talking and, to him I mean, today. He wants yeah. to, I mean, he wants to come on, but he keeps saying he's too busy. So help me. Help me. I'll help. I'll help. <laughs> Mike, Mike ruined piano for me because it, he, the <laughs> way he makes the piano sound... I can always tell. I'll, I'll be sitting watching TV in Dublin and I'll hear something and I'll call Mike and go, uh, did you play on big? And he'll say, is that, I don't know, no. Is that the Penny Marshall thing? I'll be like, what? Yes, <laughs> it's that Penny Marshall <laughs> thing. It's like five minutes of you playing Heart and Soul improvising at the end of the movie. You know, um, I can always tell his tone and his touch. His tone yes. is just incredible. Um, but yeah, he ruined piano playing for me because I can't stand the sound of my own piano playing now. (laughs) (laughs) He, we've had several conversations back and forth, uh, electronically as it will. And he does want to come on the program. So it's just, we just haven't figured out a day yet, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. His, uh, his playing is absolutely amazing. Um, you chose, and I'm not surprised by this. You also chose, uh, another cue. I believe it was the main theme from uh, from Willow, written by James Horner, as yeah. one of your favorites. Kind of talk me through a little bit about uh, why you chose that as one of your favorites to include in today's program. Well, that was a really important score for me to hear when I was a, a little kid. And it's because 
I grew up in this area where traditional Irish music was king, you know, and it's it's wonderful and amazing, but I didn't have the same feeling for it as a child as I did for the orchestra. And I felt very separate, just like we were actually talking about. You you hit the nail on the head. I felt very separate from from everybody around me because I was just so focused on classical music and so focused on my classical piano and flute and my orchestra and everything. Um, and then I heard Willow, and here's James Horner taking all the things that I loved and putting them together to create this incredible musical fantasy world where he has, you know, the, the beautifully manicured and emotionally expansive world of the orchestra. And then all of these ethnic instruments and in particular ethnic woodwind instruments uh, with the orchestra. And mm. I, it blew my mind because at, at that point I didn't know you could do that. Of course, we do it a lot now. Um, but at the time I didn't know that was allowed, you know, what I can, I can bring these two worlds together and, and, um, and, and be part of both. So that, that's why that was a really important score for me. It's also the theme is just, just gorgeous. And, and James it is. is amazing. Yeah. I have very fond, I remember seeing it in the cinema and it, uh, yeah, it struck me that way as well. I love Horner's, uh, work. Let's, uh, let's have a listen to this. This is the main theme from the uh, film Willow and is written by James Horner.
All right. So a lot of times I ask some of my uh, my guests, particularly those that are composers. Uh, this is kind of a loaded question. That, you know, we could talk probably for hours on this, but I'm I am curious when, when you're when you're working on a film in particular, how do how do you approach that project uh, in terms of of scoring it? And I'm just kind of curious does does the script play a role? Uh, I'm sure obviously you you get a rough cut, maybe you get a final cut, and also of course there's the director is involved in this as well. Just, just kind of talk me a little bit about your approach of uh, scoring a film uh, from start to finish, I guess, as well. Sure. Well, it, it depends on who you're working with and their process to begin with, I suppose. Um, oftentimes we'll get uh, what's called a temp score or a temporary score where right. they will throw existing music up against picture to see how it works or to help the editors um, and we get a lot of information from these things, but it's it's sort of, I'm sure a lot of composers have said this before, it, it's sort of a, a double-edged sword, that one, um, because even though we can get information about, you know, the director's tastes, musical tastes, instrumentation, uh, tempo, um, harmonic language, things like that, we can, we can get a sense of that. However, sometimes when when somebody's watched a scene with a piece of music over and over and over and over, when a director has watched it um, ad nauseum, they sort of become married to that temp music. We we composers have a term mm. for that. We call it temp love. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I've not heard that before, but oh that God. makes sense. It's like, oh my God, the director is temp love. Oh God, how are we supposed to write something something original when when he's, you know, completely in love with, dare I say, poor, poor Thomas Newman, who we all love, Shawshank or American Beauty? They're like the the two, and the two that we we see all the time because Thomas is so amazing, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, you know, fifteen times nominated for an Oscar, amazing man. Um, but yeah, so, so we, we get this, sometimes we have, uh, temp music, um, sometimes we don't. Um, and then there's a lot of conversation with the director and, and trying to figure out what it is that they're into. And I mean, I'll even ask them, tell me your favorite albums, your top 10 favorite songs or your top 10 favorite albums. And I even get a sense of what sort of non-film music, non-orchestral music that they really like. So I'm trying to get to know the person and their sense of aesthetic. Um, and then I'll ask them for, and they'll say, oh, I don't know music ter- terminology, which of course you don't ex- expect anyone to. So I just ask Yeah, most them directors to, don't. Yeah, no, 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 we don't expect that. Uh, I just ask for lots and lots of adjectives. Just give me anything. Give me colors. Give me textures. Give me anything. Um, hmm. So so then, and it also depends on, is it an animated film? Is it live action? Because animation is interesting because um, you'll get the film in, in various stages of rendering. So you'll have a beautifully rendered scene and then the next one you'll have two stick figures with big voices, you know, on their big adventure. <laughs> and you have to write this expansive music for two little pen and ink drawings of stick men and their stick dog, you know, and their stick house, you know. Um, I so, that, yeah. so, you, so you have to, those, those are we call animatics and we're, you know, you have to get deep into your imagination for those. We get those in, in um, a lot in video games and in, in um, animated features. Uh, so, so then we'll hit the, um, uh, the t- to me, my, my process is a little different. And 
Craig, my husband, uh, sort of goes goes has has changed his process because he finds this this way you you write sort so, sort of differently. So I'll tell you what I'm talking about. For me, I'm very visual with scores. Uh, scores are where I live. You know, that's that's because of performing so much as well. I love scores because if I'm in a really really difficult situation or a really high pressured situation or really scary situation I look down and I see all of these 12 these 12 pitches and that's home for me I feel you know I can breathe I know they're they're my friends right there um so I I love to me it's important to see what I'm working on visually so I write directly into notation software instead of a sequencer unless it's an electronic project that's a different process so for for an animated feature that's a purely orchestral score um I'll write kind of old school in that uh I'll, I'll write the score first and then, then we'll create the mock-ups for the director from that, and rather than sitting at a sequencer and playing everything in and then later um, orchestrating and later. Because I hear, I hear the orchestration fully realized in my head because that's, that's the lit world that I've lived in my whole life is, is in the orchestra. Right. So, so I'll straight away, when I get an idea for a theme, um, pretty much... The orchestration that I that I hear right away will stay. You know, I can develop the theme. I'll do all of that. But the way I hear it realized, um, uh, whereas Craig will try lots and lots of different things, and we sort of vibe off each other then as well because we work together. So um, I'd be like, really, that's that that I love that woodwind choir, but you're not going to put horns on there. And he'll be like, he'd be like, you know what? Harmonically that needs to change right now. You need to, you need a key change or something. I'd be like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Like this is, this is like our day, you know, and it's, it's, you know, quality control. We don't let each, we don't let the other get away with anything. We're like, mm, phone it in much, you know, it's just like, you can't, you can't phone anything in. You can't get away with, anything you know um so you're you're bringing up some interesting things though for for, again for my untrained ear or the fact that i you know maybe i don't know everything i'm talking about technology has really changed this profession quite a bit it it, you know i can remember there's a great my listeners know and i'm going to ask you later so let's just be upfront. my absolute 100 favorite composer is john barry all right so yeah. And I'm sure you're you're familiar with him. Yeah. Uh, there was a release of Body Heat that came out uh, on CD a couple of years ago that had all these, um, as uh, you know, as I guess they're called mock-ups. But, but he had to do the mock-ups with an actual, you know, he had to get players to come in. And it was a small group just to kind of give the director a feel of, you know, where he was going with the, with the music. <sighs> these days, I guess, if I understand right, you don't need to bring in a bunch of players. You can just, you know, you can do it on a computer and say, this is kind of what it's going to sound like. Is is that accurate what I'm saying? I would much prefer to do it John's way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you might prefer, but you may not have that option. No, and I'll tell you, actually, some of the weird things that happen. Um, it, there's temp love and there's mock-up love as well. Right. Uh, which isn't as it isn't as common as temp love, but one of the things that happens is this: when, when we use a sequencer, um, you're listening to uh, a sample 
of an orchestra playing that note. So if you play a middle C in the middle of the keyboard and you have a string sound up on your, on your sequencer, you're going to play it and you're going to hear 32 violins playing that C natural. Now, <laughs> so they record them with 32, right? So um, then you add your second violins. We, we play the G natural below that. We have our second violins in. Now I have 64 violins, right? Then you add your violi below that. We'll have a, a C natural below that. There, there's your there's a 32 violi. So now you have, yeah. what, what, 96? And you haven't even got to the celli and the basses yet, you know? So <laughs> the problem is... We have to be really careful when we go into the studio that the um, the directors are going. Why does this sound smaller? <laughs> You're like <laughs> because there aren't three hundred people on the stage, you know. Um, yeah, so, unless you want to pay for that many people, <laughs> um, and we'd be we'd be happy to. Uh, but but at scoring stage, you know, we're a big orchestra. We'd have about ninety. Um, right. And uh, that's a big orchestra. And, you know, you <laughs> so so we have to be careful with expectations and, you know, how we mix things and how we how we write. And and the other thing is, um, if you have a score that, you know, is going to use electronic elements or need to use electronic elements or you're writing for the sequencer, you're going to write slightly differently. Um, when we write for the orchestra, we write as idiomatically for each of the instruments of the orchestra uh, mm. as as possible. You know, like you you want a flute part to sound like the flute and no other instrument. You don't want it to sound like a keyboard part being played by the flute. So um, like like every composer ever through music history, you have parameters and you work within those parameters and you know, the music comes out differently because of limitations or because of those parameters. And that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I'll give you an example. We we got uh, we got locked down on in the middle of uh, if finishing the, the animated feature we just did. It's called Two by Two Overboard. And right, we're going to um, get into that later. Yes. Yeah. So we, we had to do things. Um, I, we were making a, a video for the entitled song and and my thing was you know i want this to be different and special because of the limitations uh rather than looking like the having the audience be aware of what we can't do because of the limitations so limitations i always think of as as a friend that you create something unique and different because of them rather than seeing them as this this obstacle to your vision they they make you go in a direction that you mightn't otherwise have gone in and and push you into um in, into creating something um that could push your boundaries in in a good way yeah yeah um, let's switch gears and, and go back to, um, some of the cues that you chose. And I'm, I'm not surprised by this one from the Harry Potter series, uh, Hedwig's flight written by the maestro, John Williams, uh, kind of talk to me a little bit about why you wanted to choose that as, uh, among your uh, favorites and also things that were influencing to you. Well, you know, it's really hard to pick one of John Williams' cues. That's that's first and foremost. <laughs> Let's say that. But I chose this one um, because I just got to know it really, really well. I did it for that same same concert, Pure Imagination. And I, I just, you know, because I, I got to know it really intimately. This is a great thing about being a, a conductor, actually. You get 
to know uh, your friends and your colleagues' music really, really well because you have to learn it. And mm. just looking at he is the king of the great theme, but not just that, the way he develops. He is a virtuosic orchestrator and a virtuosic um and I don't use this as a, in a as a dry term, but technician in terms of composition, um, huh. so beautifully. And he, and he does it like a virtuoso player. He does it like a virtuoso improviser almost. It it just feels so natural and flows so natural. And there's two amazing themes from the Harry Potter series in in um, Hedwig's Flight, and it just really it it's so magical. I mean, that's that's the the obvious word to use, but also the way he knows to write, the, the way he knows string technique in such a way that he can write something that sounds so difficult and sounds so fast and virtuosic and is, is actually not, not that difficult mm. for professional players. If you listen behind the celesta and you can hear what the, what the violins are doing, all those runs and scales. And it's just, it's just such great composition and and shows such not just an intimate knowledge of the orchestra but a genuine love for the orchestra and joy i mean i i met john a few years ago and it was at one of the this society of composers and lyricists um their uh music nominees oscar music nominees uh receptions and i had spent been around him a few times and I just never wanted to approach him and a friend of mine said you know you really have to you just conducted one of his favorite orchestras just say hello and I I felt so here's the poor man he's surrounded by us super fan composers and oh my gosh I'm so mortified (laughs) and my friend introduced me and said Emer is just after coming back from conducting the Dallas Symphony and blah 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 and you should have seen his face. He um, all of a sudden became like this 12-year-old boy. And and here's, he's talking to this eight-year-old girl, you know, and we're, we're just like, <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh my, and he's like, did you like that? What hall were you? And I was, like, I was in the Marison Hall. And he goes, what do you think of the acoustic? Oh, I love the acoustic. Uh, what do you think of the brass section? Oh, my gosh, they're so different, right? They really, really love the brass. And, and, and um, uh, he, he's like, uh, um, have they got their new concert master yet? And I was like, no, I think she's starting in September. And it was just, I have photos and we look like we're in cahoots about something. And just that, I hear that in his music, that absolute, that little boy who's endlessly fascinated, endlessly curious and endlessly in love with the orchestra. And I just, I just love that about him. I love it about his music and it translates to the audience. That's the thing. That joy comes through him, through the players and to the audience. What a fabulous, fabulous story! Thank you for sharing that. That's <laughs> that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Let's let's have a listen to this cue that that uh, Emir's uh, chosen. It's called Hedwig's Flight, and it's from the Harry Potter series, and it's written, of course, by the maestro John Williams.
We'll get back to our program in a minute. This program is done for the love of film and film music, plain and simple. However, it does take a huge investment in time and in fees for me to make the program work for you. I don't sell commercial time and don't really want to on this program. Rather, I'm kind of like a, a public broadcasting station. I need support from listeners like you. For as little as $3 a month, you can help me uh, uh, offset the time spent in putting the program together. Or maybe you just think of it as leaving a tip in the tip jar. Either way, if you can join up, uh, there will be bonuses, like an additional 10 to 15 minute segment with our guest every week, where we'll play additional cues as well as ask uh, some extra questions. And it's going to be only available to patrons. How do you sign up? Well, it's simple. You go to patreon.com slash what's the score, and that's all one word. That's Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash what's the score. Check it out. We'd be grateful for your support. That's Patreon.com. I, I don't recall whether or not I actually mentioned this as we've uh, started talking or not. But uh, I, one of the things that excited me about today's conversation, silly as it may seem, well, maybe it's not silly. I don't know. But you're the first female I've had on the program. And I like that, a female composer. And so I'm curious, what, what if any oops have you had to go through being a female in what is quite frankly, as far as I'm aware, a male dominated profession. I'm just kind of curious. Did that, did that present any uh, particular challenges or was it just kind of, you know, Hey, you know, if you're talented, you, you know, and it works out. Uh, It's, it's been odd to be honest, you know, it's been odd because I'm a fan of logic generally. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, just the conducting thing as well. I, I always thought, well, a baton doesn't look that heavy, really. You know, it's just a little <laughs> stick of rosewood. I, I'm pretty sure I can wield that thing. Um, and uh, and similarly with composition, it, it's it's just illogical, really, that, that you know, to anyone that thinks that, that women shouldn't or can't or whatever, it, it just doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, that that strange little girl that fell in love with the orchestra, I mean, it's really difficult to tell her anything that, that she'll listen to, <laughs> you know. Um, so uh, it, it just, I just kept just doing, just as the expression is, you do you, just just do it being myself and, and going after what I was passionate about and what I loved. And, you know, I have people always say to me oh of all the female conductors I know of all the female composers I'm like that makes that doesn't make any sense either uh I might not have anything in common other than gender and the fact that we work in music with another a woman who conducts or another woman who composes it just so happens that one of my best friends who I do have a lot of in common a lot in common with my Turkish sister from another mister 
um, just scored uh, one of the top group, one of the largest budget. Um, I think it's the, the biggest budget any woman has ever, biggest budget movie any woman has ever scored. And that's, that's Pinar Toprak doing um, Captain Marvel. And for huh. me, I just programmed the, her music from Captain Marvel and Fortnite in one of my concerts. And again, getting to know the joy of getting to know one of your best friends through their music by having to study it and learn it. That's a different kind mm. of relationship. And it's so mm-hmm. lovely. It is just wonderful. Um, but I don't know. It baffles me a little bit, to be honest, the whole the whole woman composer conductor thing. I just plod along doing doing my bit. And yes, I have had some strange comments over the years. And uh, uh, it, they didn't make sense to me because, again, logic. And um, so I just keep plodding yeah. along, doing my thing and trying to be you know, the best musician that I can be and constantly curious and constantly working on it. And, and, um, you know, being a, being a fan, that's the other thing. I'm a huge fan of my colleagues and, and I think that really helps as well because instead of feeling competitive or whatever, I want great music to listen to. (laughs) So I, I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of, of this community. And, um, uh, again, logic, it, it helps. It's always helped me. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I see your, I see what, I hear what you're saying, but it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the, the, the way I look at it, I mean, it's kind of, okay, I hear this piece of music. Oh, wow, I really like this. Oh, was it composed by a man or a woman? Let me yeah. find that out first. Yeah. That's yeah. ridiculous, of course, yeah. on its face. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's a career thing, I think, more than it's it's outside the music. Anything that's outside the music is just baffling and weird. I mean, there there's so, so many examples of that um, where, I mean, I, I had to witness a conductor saying recently, well, music is either masculine or it's feminine. And I was like, what? Music oh. doesn't have a gender. It's just no. music. <laughs> It's just like it's it's just you know it's psychoacoustics it's vibrations it doesn't have a gender you know um so i mean people try to put these things on like a you know um oh a woman can't score an action movie why not a woman can't conduct the war requiem or that's you know this is it, it just doesn't make any sense a rounded artist with a half decent imagination you know um that's like saying a man can't interpret uh, a movie about about women that's like saying you know yeah. an example this is the kind of thing that women composers deal with um my my colleague um alexandre desplat did a beautiful score yes. that i got to conduct some of at the academy awards for little women it's like saying well, he can't score a movie about women. He's a man, you know. This is what <laughs> this is what we deal with constantly. It's like, well, you can't score an action movie. It's all these dudes blowing things up. And I'm like, yeah, bring on the big drums and the big brass. Let me at it, you know. Um, it's just, I don't know. People people choose these weird arguments for um, making themselves feel more comfortable, I suppose. And uh, I guess, yeah, yeah you know. Well, you know uh, it. I, I I was delighted. I was delighted to see your next uh, selection of a, in a of a composer that influenced you, or a cue that did. If for no other reason, because 
my daughter loves this score as well. Believe, you know, believe it or not, I've actually, I have a 22 year old daughter that I guess I influenced in some way. She loves movie scores as well. So I'm kind of proud of that. And I know this is amongst her favorites. You chose a cue from a movie uh, about how to train your dragon. I think it's called test drive uh, written by John Powell. Kind of tell us a little bit about why you chose that amongst your uh, favorite influential cues. Sure. Well, I, I love John's music. I mean, uh, this, this score, uh, you know, I know it was, it was Oscar nominated, but um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it, it wins, it wins all the awards in our house constantly. Um, but um, I, I'll tell you why I chose it is again, going back to that concert, I knew that the, the brass and percussion hadn't played together since February and that it would be really emotional for everybody. It's the National Symphony Orchestra of Ireland. These guys are each other's family. You know, these are tenured chairs in the orchestra. And um, uh, I just love this theme that the um, trombones and the horns play in this cute test drive. It just gets me every time. Even when I was learning the score, I was getting clint. You know, when I come to this theme. <laughs> and I just, I mean, John... I've met, uh, John went out of his way to make sure that we had his score. I, I have to say the composers, because we had three weeks, the composers that chipped in, um, John Powell, Don Davis, Michael Giacchino, Pinar Toprak, all of these composers getting us their private stash so that we could make the concert happen for for Ireland, which is a country that's mm. been through a lot through this whole um this whole process to see their national mm. orchestra with some amazing singers with two amazing singers, all of us socially distanced. It was very, very strange, but um, it was an, a concert to lift everybody's spirits. And I just felt like this theme is so uplifting. It was keeping, it was keeping me going while I was learning it. And um, I know John is such, such a beautiful spirit of a person as well. He's, I have, a couple of my former students are um, are assistants of his, um, and he's just he's just so he's so good to everyone that works with him. And I feel as well, just like I was saying with John Williams, I really feel like you can hear that in the the joy that's in the music. This uh, yeah. beautiful, joyful spirit that comes through, and I chose it also. I must tell this to John for, as the first thing we played in rehearsal for the brass uh when we when we got together last week and um it was just wonderful it was just so joyful and to hear that sound and i i said as soon as we finished the first read down i just said oh my god it's so good to hear a brass section again because i hadn't <laughs> heard one since the academy awards you know and yeah. because of this yeah. and i'd normally do 50 to 60 concerts a year and i could see brass players are the tough guys in the orchestra and i could see them getting a little bit mm, a little bit wobbly uh, back there mm, i could see yeah, a, little bit okay. of a, a little bit of watery eyes happening back there um that's but, okay. Uh, That's yeah, okay. it was fab. It was a really special moment. And I chose that piece knowing that they hadn't been together and knowing how uplifting and wonderful and joyful it is. Well, let's uh, let's have a listen to this. This is from the film How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, the cue is called Test Drive, and it's written by composer John Powell.
goodness, our, you know, I could come up with like a hundred follow-up questions, I, and I, <laughs> but we're limited a little bit on time. So I'm going to try and stick with my script. I, I'm, uh, I'm curious because one of the things I talked about in your introduction, and we haven't really talked about it much, is the fact that not only do you compose for film, but you also compose for video games. Now, I have to plead a little ignorance in the fact that, I'll be honest with you, I know nothing about video games. I, I mean, I haven't played one. I don't have the, the hardware or the software to do it, so I know nothing about it. But I am curious because, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I have an appreciation for it. What is, what is different about composing for a video game versus a film, if, if anything? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what, what happens uh, today, we have, we have these some of these amazing fantasy role-playing games where you're basically playing a character in the story. So it, it's like, if you imagine film where you're, you're watching the story from afar and you're imagining yourself as the central character, in video mm-hmm. games, you actually are the central character. So um, there, there's a few things that music has a few different roles to play in video games. And the first is... Um, scoring the cinematic so the cinematic is an animated like a little mini animated feature film that sets up the story so you know all about the world you're going into what's going on in the world what your quest is what your task is all of this kind of thing and we'll score that just like a movie score so it's it's got edits points it's got dialogue everything's in place just like that so just like scoring a film, you have to be careful of the dialogue and not treading on the dialogue and you score around it and you you, you treat it and also the edits and so on. Um, but then the in-game music is a lot freer. So once people are playing the game, um, they could be in a world for ages, just walking around, checking it out. So we'll have some in-game music can be rather more expansive we can have big, huge themes. We're not worried about treading on dialogue because we don't know when the dialogue, if any, is going to happen. Um, but then there's another type of composition. And I always, I've been quoted as saying Mozart would write video game music. And nobody ever asked me why I said that. The reason being that Mozart loved puzzles. He loved a good puzzle. And one aspect of video game scoring is um, is kind of puzzle-like where a character is interacting with something in the game and it changes the music, it triggers a change in the music. So we have to write in a way that any of those changes that are triggered are still musically interesting and we have to record in that way as well so that it it all fits together. It kind of reminds me of back in in the, you know, early Renaissance up to, say, the, the 19th century there used to be these things called catch clubs and a catch was like a round wet that uh that had rests in it so when somebody else would join join the round like row 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 your boat that <laughs> those rests would be filled in by a, a different syllable and uh so you it was a puzzle it was a musical puzzle that had to get musically more interesting also rounds tended to be um the more syllables you added the ruder um and the more innuendo was added to the, to, to the meaning of the song but um uh so we we do have these musical puzzles um and a third or a fourth type of music 
is what we call in, in film, we call it needle drop, which is if you're in a place that has, say, a gramophone playing, the music that's coming from the gramophone is something that we'll oftentimes create mm. as well, or coming from out of the radio, or, you know, if there's a character playing or singing or whatever. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Well, if, from this untrained and unknowing person, it, it, it appears to me, and I could be wrong, Gosh, I mean, composing music for a video game strikes me as a lot more complicated and more involved than for a film. Would it, would I be wrong in saying that? Uh, you know what? I think it, projects are complicated or made easy by the, the creatives involved. Um, I, I relish... Uh, parameters and and limitations. Uh, limitations, I suppose, isn't quite the right word, but parameters, as in the music needs to do this here, it needs to do that there. That's really helpful. So I I find them as a, a slight change in pace. Uh, the deadlines for video games tend not to be as intense as the um, as the deadlines for film. Not always, but a lot of the time. <laughs> You know, because you're brought in when everything else is done on the film, you're you're in po you're the part of the post production, and oftentimes anywhere along the schedule that production has eaten more time that comes out of your time budget. Um, whereas the video games can be a lot more collaborative and have have a slower pace uh, as you go along. Um, so, yeah, well, I don't think it's more complicated really. I think it's all about. It's all about the 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 project and the creatives involved. That that's what makes it easier, complicated. Okay, okay. Now, we wouldn't be doing justice if we didn't talk more about your own personal work, and so I, I definitely want to dive into that. You you have a recent project. I mean, as recent as like you know, <laughs> the prints not even dry yet. Almost it. it a program, a, a film called, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Two by Two Overboard, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And, and and we want to feature a couple of cues that you've written that are particular favorites of yours, things that you're proud of. Um, first, which I was going to uh, play was the the end title uh, from the film. Talk, me, talk to me a little bit about uh, what you were trying to accomplish by writing that cue. Well, the end title, is it the song you're talking about? Uh, oh, oh, hold on. I apologize. I'm, I'm reading notes here. Let's see. Huh. Well, all right. For editing purposes, let me just pause here for a minute. One of the things I wanted to play from your recent projects are uh, Jelly's theme from Two by Two Overboard, which is uh, the, your most recent project. Kind of talk to me a little bit about that and why you wanted to include that uh, amongst your favorites of things that you've composed on your own. Well, uh, the Two by Two Overboard is a, an independent animated feature. It's a, a co-production between Ireland, Luxembourg, Germany, um, think there's a few more countries involved but um it's a really big hearted really sweet sweet film and it, it was great because we worked on it and I say we uh Craig and I worked together and um we worked on it during 
COVID, we were, we were post-production on the score. And I, I have to say, looking at this big-hearted, sweet film kind of kept our spirits up, you know. Um, but Jelly's theme was where I was trying to uh, portray just this magical sense of awe as this little jellyfish goes and discovers this this underwater utopian um, civilization. The uh, the trailer for the film really intrigued me quite a bit. I want to encourage anybody who is a uh, loves watching animated, even if you don't particularly like animated features. It's I can promise you this will be a movie that will certainly move you and. The music is a big part of that. Let's let's go ahead and play this. This is the Jelly's theme from the film called Two by Two Overboard, and it's written by our guest, Imar Noon. Something else that you uh, contributed to this film, Two by Two uh, Overboard, was uh, something that plays over the end credits, a beautiful song. Uh, I've I've seen the music video for it, and I want to share it, obviously, with our listeners. Tell us a little bit about uh, what went into composing this particular piece and uh, why you wanted to include it amongst your favorites. Yeah, um, well... The theme for the song came from the score and the score came from the the story. So I, I feel like it's this organic progression that, that that I was passed a baton by the other creatives and wrote the score that went with what they created. And then this this theme came out and I went, Oh my gosh, this is a song. And so we so I, I, I went I said to the producer, I said, you know, this theme when we were recording in, in the studio, I said, this is the song. And she said, yeah, yeah, it is. So I went mm-hmm. um, then we got locked down on. So we had with the score done and um, and half recorded. We ended up having to wait and bring in some individual players and all this kind of stuff. But the song I was writing the lyric during the first lockdown. And um, here in Ireland and in the UK, we we did this this thing to honor our frontline workers where at 8 p.m. every evening we'd stand on our front doorsteps and and clap and cheer for our frontline workers. Yeah, yeah. and I and I was trying to come up with a lyric for this song and 
I came up with, oh my gosh, Stand for Hope uh, from from literally standing on the doorstep. Now, it was a little funny in, in our house because we were out in the countryside and uh, I, I actually filmed us doing this when we stood on the doorstep. There were no people around anywhere to hear us, only, <laughs> only the crows and the trees across the way. So we were cheering, yay! And the crows are going, so it's just this mad situation. <laughs> so this very serious song came out of it. And we, you know, I wanted to, the, the, the song, every line of it is about the film and the film is very uplifting and hopeful. And it's about basically, if we don't leave all our baggage aside, if these two groups don't lay down all of their collective baggage and get together, literally nobody's going to survive. And I was like, this is just so bizarrely right on for this time, you know? Yeah. So, so the song, every line of it's about the film, but every line of it's also about what we were going through. And, uh, you know, all of us that all of us creatives and all the performers that are off the stage, you know, one of the lines that's in there is, um, uh, when all around us has come undone, our dreams on hold and our songs unsung, we can't go back to what we knew, but I stand for hope when I stand with you. And, and that's really, I mean, you know, we were living that. I, I was watching all the concerts and all the projects I was supposed to do just fall away before my eyes. I mean, um, I felt like my poor manager, who's awesome, I almost felt like she was <laughs> on the front lines of that. You know, she was having to, to, you know, it was, you know, she's, this is her passion and she's watching all of these these beautiful projects just disappear and um it, it uh yeah it came out in the song for sure it came out in the song and i suppose that's where we put things that's where creatives that's how we sort of process things we process them through our work and and then so then the song was written and we're locked down on and we're we're socially distanced so there's a very famous pianist in ireland called frank mcnamara who's an absolute dear and uh, he and his wife brought us into their home studio and we recorded on his, we recorded him playing his, his, his beautiful, um, his beautiful Steinway that he he bought as a kid. So this whole wow. thing, the story just goes on and on and on. And um, with Shibail Nikasaja, Shibail is a traditional Shanno singer who brings that to the world of contemporary, con- contemporary um, music. And, you know, it was exactly the right voice at the right time for this project, and and she's very very special. And um, yeah, so so that that's what happened. And and you know, I feel like as we come out of this um, this time, that this song sort of encapsulates it. Oh, the other thing was we couldn't get a choir together. Uh, for obvious reasons so so we had the film's crew become the choir so if you if you see the the (laughs) video it's all of the the film crew and their families and their dogs and you see our producer and our director and (laughs) us and the kids and everybody's in the video (laughs) so (laughs) needs must oh Oh, that's great well let's let's have a let's have a listen to this is this this is from the film. Uh, remind me again. It's called Two by What? Uh, the song is Stand for Hope, and it's from Two by Two Overboard. Perfect introduction. Let's have a listen.
As my listeners know, I mean, I have real bias. Uh, and so I'd just be curious about your thoughts on these two composers. 
my two favorites. Well, first of all, I loved Jerry Goldsmith. I thought he was a terrific composer. My absolute 100% favorite with beyond, you know, reproach is John Barry. And I'd be curious, do you have any thoughts about, uh, about either of them and, and maybe what influence or, or just what impressions you have of both of them as composers? Well, um, I'll tell you how much I love John Barry. I programmed his his music from out of Africa in my debut at the National Concert Hall in Ireland. I was 20 years of age. Um, <laughs> and I'll tell you something, the horn writing in there, the way he orchestrates, the way he uses the horns inside of the orchestra as well as on that theme, that big theme, just, oh, he's amazing. He's just, it's just beautiful. Uh, so really, really great choice. And um uh Jerry Goldsmith's just a legend. I mean, just just beyond. I mean, he's one he, I consider him, I mean, when you think of before him, you have like the amazing David Raxon and you've Corn Gold and these incredible yeah. composers that come, you know, more out of the classical tradition. You can definitely hear that that progression. Of course, Corn Gold was a concert composer as well. Actually, David Raxon was Craig's teacher. He also taught Don hmm. Davis um, and Carlos Rodriguez, and, uh, and I think he taught Chris Young as well. Um, but uh, going through, I mean, to me, Jerry Goldsmith is the first of the modern, the, the first, the, the real godfather of modern film composition to me. I mean, the harmonic language that he uses, a lot of the, what we call the mediant relationship using using thirds, minor thirds and major third shifts and the harmonies and things like this. Um, just incredible. He's just, Jerry Goldsmith is, there's only one Jerry Goldsmith. I mean, your choices are flawless there, Frank. I have you know, without, without argument. I mean, I'd throw Alan, well, I, I, Alan Silvestri I, in there as well. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I love melody and, and what I find sometimes missing in current film scores is quite frankly, is melody. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I, I don't mean that it, it's not, it's not good music. I mean, you know, far be it for me to, you know, again, I'm not an expert, but sure. I, I just, I love melody that that connects to the characters that are experiencing whatever it is they're experiencing in the film, and that's what, what I see missing. I'm, I'm not talking about your work, but I'm but that's what I see missing in a lot of current film work right now. Well, you know what? That is not the down to the composers a lot of the time. That's often the director's choice. Um, yeah, that's so- yeah, if you if you check out the places where you will hear me- melody most often, they're going to be fa- the areas of fantasy, action, um, and uh, animation. So, yeah. um, an animation, I suppose, that animation that is and fantasy and action, um, and that's one of the things about video games, scoring video games, that sort of fashion in the fantasy video game world is to create what we call the hero version, big themes, the big heroic themes, which is so yeah. fun. Whereas oftentimes in a film, you'll be asked to create more of a textural background or, and you know, it has to do with um, directorial tastes, but also confidence. They sometimes you, if you have a, 
a director that isn't as experienced with music, they're terrified that you'll turn their scene into a music video or that mm. you that the theme will will overpower the character or that um uh, you'll somehow take you'll somehow will take uh attention away from the main action or something. But you find directors that are more experienced with music and have more confidence um uh won't be will know how to how to use music in its most powerful way and how to create a musical identity that is absolutely synonymous with the the film or the film franchise. I mean, like Harry, like that Celeste theme that from Hedwig's Flight, Harry Potter is not Harry Potter without that, you know, to, well, to me, I'm biased, yeah. but, you know, it, it's so much a part of the identity of that franchise. Um, some directors want that. Some don't, and oftentimes in in the video game world, they want you specifically to help create a sonic identity or a thematic identity or a theme that's identifiable with the with the franchise. I, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I must be honest with you. I would, I could ask about two or three follow ups that would take us forever, and, <laughs> and I would love to do that. Maybe I'll save that for a future episode because. I'm just absolutely, I, I, gosh, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. I mean, I just, I, I feel like a, we were connected in terms of talking about the, the old art form, but we do need to wrap this up. And I am, I am curious, is there, is there anything in your future that you want to talk about uh, other than the fact that you have something that's just been released and certainly talk about that, but anything else that we can look for in the pipeline? Yes, I, I mean, there's a lot of things coming up. There's a, a couple of video games, but there's a um, there's a film I'm really excited about. That's a very different direction for me that I'm I'm really hoping works out. Like I can't say too much, but it's um, okay. It's a very meaningful, very very deep um, uh, subject matter. Um, quite dark, actually. Um, but um, but ultimately hopeful and uh, it's a new departure as I said for me and I'm, I'm always excited when I get to stretch a different muscle and, and move in a different direction but um, sure. but it's all creativity it's all it's all composition and um, you know I I feel like anything that helps to stretch stretch what I know and, and, and helps me to develop and learn is just something I absolutely relish so Sure. Uh, watch this space. I'm I'm NDA'd on a couple of things, so I can't, I can't say too much. <laughs> but there'll be loads of concerts well, but, and things as well. Lots and lots of stuff coming. Sure. Up. There's, there's tons. The the, uh, the the current project though is the the the. Tell us where can we see that? If do we look for that in cinemas, or is it going to be available yeah. for streaming and whatnot? Well, it's already been out. We we were so thrilled. It was number one at the UK box office. It's been out in Germany. Just came out in Ireland on Friday, and it's going to be released early in the year, early in twenty twenty one, in the United States. So, look out for two by two uh, overboard. It's got a big heart. It's really sweet, and it has some of the best fart jokes yeah. I've ever seen. <laughs> so- <laughs> and I love I love the trailer. So I would you know. If that's any indication, I would encourage anybody to say it. So, so where do people where do people follow you and what's going on with you and those sorts of things? Can you share that with us? Yeah, real quick? sure. I'm really easy to find. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram. 
Um, say hello uh, in particular on Twitter. Um, I I always respond to to everybody. So um, just say hello, and it is me. It's not management or anything like that. Um, <laughs> so share your your love of music and and your the scores that you that you're really excited by, and and um, yeah. I will. Uh, I, I'll, I'll I'll try to put that on our Facebook page. Uh, what's the score? which is very simple to find what's the score on Facebook page and, uh, and let people remind people of that and uh, to make sure that they can stay in touch with you. I, 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 this sounds all, whenever I say it, I don't mean it to sound cliche and I truly don't. Gosh, I've really enjoyed talking with you. I mean, it's been tremendous. I really, I really appreciate it that you're coming on the program and I've thoroughly enjoyed the, conversation i hope you have as well absolutely frank so much fun you get me talking about music i can talk all day long unfortunately frank <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're terrific and I, I hope people get a chance to check out your work and i want to encourage people to do that uh goodness you know I'll, like i say i'll we'll post that on our uh, facebook page for those of you that are interested in, in following her thanks to our guest today and uh to all of you for listening to the program quite frankly there's only one thing left to say and that's simply this my name is frank r wilson my time is up i thank you for yours thanks for listening to what's the score